So we are going to be looking at Romans 6 today. Did anybody look over Romans 6 and have something stand out to you? Anything that you felt God leading you in through this passage? Well, I liked how, I mean, Paul was pretty clear. I mean, he... He has some main points, and then he, but then he boils it down for us, and I like the the boiling of it, boiling down of it, um, and that is we are not under law but under grace. We are dead to sin but alive to God in Christ, um, and so I just thought that was interesting. I mean, he took a lot of words. He used a lot of words yeah. to get to those points, but I like that. That's pretty points. Paul, though. Yeah. That's, <laughs> right. that's what he does. Yeah, I like the whole 22nd and 23rd verse, yeah. mm-hmm. which, is, which you summarized. Mm-hmm. Well, before we dig too deep into Romans 6, I'm going to take a minute to remember what we've looked at up to this point. So the first several weeks, the first um, three chapters of Romans, Paul really focused on showing us reality and what we deserve. And so what is it that we deserve? Death. Death. The wrath of God. And why? We're dirty, rotten sinners. (laughs) Yeah. Even we were talking last night at, at... at dinner and and about um, about what it takes to be saved, but but I said how many sins is too many, and and Abby just said one. So that's exactly right. One sin is too many for the holiness of God. And then we get to to chapter four, and Paul gives us some good news. And so, what was that good news? Who was that good news? Jesus. Does anyone remember that theological word we referred to a lot? And if you don't, it's okay, but it's the doctrine of justification. Justification. Justification is that that being saved from the penalty of sin. It's the legal concept concept of judgment day, of, of that exchange of Jesus for us. But it's, it's also more than that. It's, it's also that, um, that relationship. And so in a nutshell, the, the question we talked about last night, we're going through for our second time through the New City Catechism. The question was, how can we be saved? And this is really sums up chapters the end of chapter 3 through chapter 5, it says, Only by faith in Jesus Christ and in his substitutionary atoning death on the cross. So even though we are guilty of having disobeyed God and are still inclined to all evil, nevertheless, God, without any merit of our own, but only by pure grace, imputes to us the perfect righteousness of Christ when we repent and believe in him. That kind of summarizes that first chunk of the book. But but then Romans 6, we begin kind of a new section of the letter. Paul begins here by anticipating some of the objections that the Roman believers are going to have. 
and he, he kind of addresses them. And so he, he starts with this idea, um, I guess we should read it first, and then I can tell what we start with. So I skipped that part. That so uh, verses 1 through 10. I'm going to read it in the NIV just because it's easier for me to understand. Um, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so too, so we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him, for we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So the word know, K-N-O-W, is repeated in this passage in verses 3, 6, and 9. And as we think about standing firm, that's our women's ministry theme for this, this ministry year, we need to know before we can stand firm. Um, knowing is critical for our discipleship. And so Paul gives us here a series of truths that we must know. He starts by asking another of his signature questions. And so what does he ask? There in verse 1. Yeah, should we just keep on sinning so we can experience more grace? Logical, right? Um, it, it, it is a question that makes sense. If my sin is forgiven, why does it matter if I go on sinning or not? Then I can experience more forgiveness. But Paul answers firmly with his signature phrase. What does he say? By no means. By no means. He answers with a firm no. And then he gives us the reasons behind it. So in verse 2, he says, we died to sin. This concept doesn't mean, this statement doesn't mean that we will no longer sin. Um, what it means is that sin no longer dominates us. Our relationship with sin has changed. And then he starts talking about this about baptism. Um, the word baptism has both a a literal and a figurative meaning, and Paul is using both of those meanings. So literally, the word um, in the word baptize means to dip or to immerse. But then the figurative meaning is to be identified with. Uh, and Paul like I said, is using both of these meanings. 
that experience of water baptism is what reminds us of our identification with Christ. So Sunday morning, when we had the ice storm for Melissa's husband, we, <laughs> we were scheduled to have five baptisms at Mount Calvary Church on Sunday morning. Um, unfortunately, those have to be rescheduled. Looks like it'll be the 23rd, and there may be, there may be between six and eight on that day. God is good. You know, um, Satan tried to attack those baptisms, and, and God said, no, no, no. But um, they, the, there were some non-church-going family members that were planning to be in attendance on Sunday. Um, Satan thinks he won because they were not at church on Sunday. But, but I do want us to just pray. This is sort of an aside. But, but I want us to pray that this does not discourage them from coming another day. Amen. That... that uh, one young lady, her father, does not attend church, and I just pray that he would, he would say, yeah, I missed it that day, but I didn't miss the chance to watch my daughter, and then he'll come. I pray that the, the other family members will be there. Um, God has big plans for these baptisms, or it wouldn't have been important enough for it to be attacked. So that's my aside, but also prayer request. But I always look forward to watching baptisms, whether it's during a regular worship service, uh, a special baptism service. I love watching when my friend's kids are baptized and they put it on Facebook. They put a video on Facebook. Um, so make it a point, should be on the 23rd, make it a point to be there, to witness them. If you can't be at the service, watch it online, on the church website, Facebook, or YouTube. Some of these testimonies are going to be very powerful to hear. But more important than that, and is for us, is that watching a baptism allows us to remember our own salvation story and our own baptism. Uh, I shared my baptism story previously as we talked about justification. Um, but this week we're going to look at baptism as it relates to sanctification. So if you were on Facebook to hear Matt's sermon this week, he began his series on 1 Peter, where he talked about both atonement and sanctification. So atonement is the paying uh, or the, the payment for the failure or the sin. It's, it's owning it and seeking forgiveness and, and, uh, and, and making it right. Um, Sanctification, that is the process of being made new, of having a new purpose. If you remember, he talked about the pot in the Old Testament temple that is sanctified, and so it is given a new purpose. So sanctification is, is like our growth in Christ-likeness. But back to baptism. Um, the, uh, Tony Merida wrote, while Paul is not writing about the ordinance of baptism here, this chapter is important for understanding the truths that point to the truth of baptism. Paul is expounding on the glorious doctrine of our union with Christ. So Paul is using baptism as a picture, as the symbol that it is to remind us that we died with Christ and we were buried with him. 
Verse 4 says, We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. We were not just buried with Christ in death. We didn't stay under the water. We were raised with Christ in resurrection. Just like God did to Christ at the resurrection, we are liberated from the power of sin. Now, this new life begins at conversion and is completed on the day of resurrection. So he, he does, uh, he's not dealing with salvation in terms of water baptism here. Um, it, it, Paul's goal is not the doctrine of baptism. But if you remember back to my story, I became a Christian at, at age eight in Sunday school. Um, and when I believed that Jesus came and died for me, died for the forgiveness of my sins, it didn't matter that I had to wait five years before my church thought I was ready to be baptized. It didn't matter that that baptism at 13 was by sprinkling because the baptistry had had a leak my whole life, still does as far as I know. Um, it didn't matter that I was 21 before I was actually immersed in baptism. That's what we talked about uh, several weeks ago. Baptism of the Spirit happens immediately upon belief and trust in Jesus. I had that new life at age 8. I just didn't have the picture of it until 21. But Paul paints this picture in some of his other letters as well. So Galatians 2.20. Carrie, was that one yours? I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And then... um, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. When you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. These both reinforce that picture of new life in Christ. And while we could dig into these a lot deeper, there's more to Romans 6. So if you are struggling with this concept of new life, I encourage you, look back at Galatians 2.20. Look back at Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. Study those on your own to try to see the picture of this new life that 
that Paul is talking about with that picture of baptism that we have. Um, but then if we move on, got to get my other one here. Um, Romans 6, 6 says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Uh, the, that f- the phrase in the ESV, brought to nothing, is, um, is the word destroyed in the King James Version. In, in Greek, it is katargeo, which means to render idle, uh, inactive, inoperative, to remove from the sphere of activity. This is the same word that will be used in Romans 7.2 for released or loosed. Um, so when we think about our, our old self crucified with him so that sin will become inactive, will be rendered idle so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Our old selves were crucified with Christ. We have a new freedom and we are no longer slaves to sin. Uh, Tony Merida says, Sin should not characterize the Christian, but a life of freedom from sin and a freedom for righteousness should characterize the Christian. Jesus died for sin, but also unto sin. He not only paid the penalty for our sin, he broke the power of sin over us. He triumphed over death and won the ultimate victory, and his victory is the believer's victory. And so those are the things, those are those truths that we need to know, that we need to to remember, and we need to believe. But once we believe the facts of history, then we need to make this knowledge work in our daily life. Um, And Paul knew that. And so he wrote the rest of the chapter. Um, and I gave somebody Romans 6, 11 through 23. In the same way, count yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign on your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to, to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. What then shall we sin? Because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourself to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the former teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I put this in human terms because you are weak in your natural selves. Just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer them in slavery to righteousness leading to holiness. 
When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and that and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So, so verse 11, it starts out, the, the ESV uses the phrase, so you must also consider. Um, other, others, uh, other versions use the word reckon. Um, this is a word that deals with fact. This is, this is not opinion, not supposition. It's an accounting term. And it's a term that Paul uses 19 times in the book of Romans. It means to count, to reckon, to impute, to take into, to take into account, to calculate. Basically, it's saying, don't just feel it. Don't just understand it. Act on it. Claim it. Uh, Warren Wiersbe says, believe that what God says in his word is really true in your life. You aren't just claiming a promise. You're acting on a fact. And until we grasp that our old lives have ended, that our penalty has been paid, that Christ's resurrection life is ours, we will not have an appropriate view of our own sanctification, of our own holiness. You know, last year's ministry theme was chosen, right? That was last year, right? That was last year. Yeah. And, And that was the idea that we were chosen by God and that our identity is in him. When we become Christians, everything changes for us. And our identity in Christ should shape everything. And so, the, so we, have to, we have to claim, that's the first thing, is we have to claim that and we have to act on it. And then the next action that we should take is to offer ourselves to God. That basic idea is to say no to sin and to say yes to God. And Paul gives us a series of of commands, of exhortations regarding things that we should and should not do throughout this this chunk of of scripture that Don read for us. Um, I want you to look at your copy of of Romans 6 in verses 12 through 13. And I'm going to read Warren Wearsby's, he says this is more a literal translation. So he says... Do not constantly allow sin to reign in your mortal body so that you are constantly obeying its lusts. Neither constantly yield your members of your body as weapons or tools of unrighteousness to sin, but once and for all, yield yourselves to God. And it really is a once and for all yielding to the Lord. Don't get me wrong, daily surrender is still needed. But that daily surrender can only come because you have yielded everything. Uh, We are freed from the power of sin, but putting away sin is not an automatic process. So this is not a call to just make peace with sin. That is not at all what Paul is saying. 
What he is saying is we should be declaring war on sin. And then in verses 15 and 16, we get another one of Paul's questions. And he says, are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? Um, What does it mean to no longer be under the law? What's the law it's referring to? The the commandments, the the Old Testament Mosaic law. All those those requirements of of, uh, uh, washings and cleanliness and sacrifice, all those are the things that he's talking about. This is not talking about moral law. This is not talking about government law. This is talking about the Old Testament Mosaic law. All that stuff in Leviticus that you read through and you're just like, oh, when is this going to end, right? (laughs) Well, it has. That's the good news, right? We no longer live under the fear of the penalty of sin. And so Paul uses slavery as an analogy here. Because this is something that was familiar to the Romans, not because he was condoning slavery. But Paul is saying the master we obey is the evidence of whose we are. Um, Tony Merida again, he says, you are not a slave to sin, so do not live like you are. And that um, that picture of of. Slavery is something that we look at as being this terrible thing, right? We have to sort of get over that picture of, I mean, slavery with, within human terms is a terrible thing. But we want to be a slave to God. We want him to be our master. And so that's sort of that mental roadblock that some of us have to get past when we read that section about being slaves to righteousness is is that that is what we want. Um, but then Paul closes the chapter, reminding us of the benefits of serving God. He reminds us that the fruit of sin is death, while the fruit of following God is sanctification and eternal life. And just a reminder that sanctification is that process of becoming holy, that deliberate action of becoming more Christ-like. Um, an eternal life is a gift of God and not something that we can earn. Second uh, Corinthians five seventeen. This is the concept I want you to grasp this week. If you walk away with nothing else, it's the idea that you have been made new. Live like it. You are new. Prove it. Show that. Act on it. Next week, we will look at Romans 7, 1 through 6. A short passage, but another critical one. Um, don't rush through it because it's only six verses. Uh, slow down and dig, dig deep. And then we are going to focus in our discussion time.
um, about remembering our baptism and why that's important. So have a great week.